praise you today. You are so good to us, Lord. You are so great to us, God. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We come to you, Father. We come to you. We seek your face, Father. We desire to be in fellowship with you. We desire, Lord, for you to be able to speak to us and us to receive what you have to say. We receive grace and peace from you today, Father. In the name of Jesus, we receive grace and peace from you today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we establish your dominion in this place this day. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we take a dominion and authority over every spirit, over every spirit of deception, every spirit of fatigue. In Jesus' name, every spirit that would encourage us to resist the word, in Jesus' name, every lying, deceiving spirit, we bind you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You loose the hearts, the minds, the souls, the spirits of every individual that's watching, listening, or will listen. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we command that you be free. We loose light in Jesus' name into these lives. We loose the spirit of revelation in Jesus' name. We speak peace and grace from the Father into their lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive strength from you today, Father. We receive strength in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, 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 hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. We worship you. We glorify you in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. I needed to check something on the video of last night's session and so... I was looking for it, and I, and I started right at the beginning. And uh, <laughs> when we first started praying, I was walking back and forth. I, I walked by Brother Shelton, and he said, and I had the microwave. When he asked the question, he said, you look tired. And without even realizing that, I brought the mic back and said, I am tired. 
And that was right on the video, see. And my first thought was, man, I need to get them to edit that out. But then as I watched the next few minutes, I thought, oh, no, no, no. Because I, my body language was tired. My voice was tired. The first two or three minutes of the prayer, it, it, it looked like I was tired. It sounded like I was tired. But the, the most awesome thing was you could see the spirit begin to work. You could see the transition from humanity to the spirit of God and that you could watch and hear the strength coming. And by the time I stopped walking and walked to the full pulpit, I didn't sound tired. I didn't look tired. And, uh, cause I wasn't tired. In fact, when I got home last night after that session, I was not near as tired as I was before it started. So that, that was kind of unique. I just thought I'd share that, uh, because then if you get a chance to watch it again, you'll look for that. <laughs> I, without even thinking, I just called the mic back and said, I am tired. And that was the first words of last night's session on that video. I am tired. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's pray again. Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. I, I, for some of you, this is going to be on the basic side. And, uh, the only thing I pray is that it is stirring up your pure minds by way of remembrance. It is uh, refreshing your faith and uh, benefiting you uh, by maybe giving you some new points to think about something you already know and practice. But I, I really feel to do this. So, some of the people who have come to the last three call to war uh, seminars they, they didn't have any problem with the stuff that was being said, but they couldn't take it home because they didn't have the fundamental knowledge of some of the most important things the Spirit teaches us and the Word teaches us to be able to sustain uh, and to use from a practical standpoint what it was they were taught. And so since they, they could do it in this atmosphere because they were operating and moving in things they didn't even understand, but the flow of the Spirit was so great, they just responded to that and God moved, et cetera, et cetera. But when they went home and it was time to do it on their own, they couldn't do it. Because there are some things uh, that they're very fundamental. And so uh, at the expense of... Some of you feeling like I, I, I'm going back to kindergarten with you. Uh, I'm just trying to obey God. If it's all right with you, praise God. I, I want to talk about the operation and ministry of faith through our lives. 
how that, how that happens, how that works. And, and I find with most of us, um, we do things we don't understand. We're not even sure if we can explain them to other people. We know in our spirit it's right. There's no check within us from the Holy Ghost that says that's wrong. In none of our studying do we come up with anything that contradicts what we're doing. And, and, and what we're doing works, but we don't understand why it works. And so therefore, because we don't have a clear biblical foundation for what we're doing, it is too easy for the adversary to undermine our effectiveness. Now, I am not a theologian. I've had people say that. First of all, I don't know what that is. Uh, I have a doctorate degree. It's honorary. So uh, that's the only way I would have gotten one. I have no problems with people that the Lord leads to pursue that and all of that. That's, you know... Uh, there's very few things Billy, things Billy Graham has done or said that I agree with, but there's one thing I strongly agree with. Someone questioned him about some of the, the inaccuracies in the Bible and all of that, and he said, wait, 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 wait. These were his words. I'm not a theologian, and I'm not an expert on the Bible. I'm a student of the Bible. I have taken the Bible at face value by faith. I don't analyze whether or not it's right or wrong. I believe it's the word of God and what it says is what I believe. So therefore, I have no answer to your question and neither will I attempt to answer it. That, that's, that's my opinion and my, my, uh, my education uh, is a, a general engineering degree and I say general because at the Naval Academy, we had to study electrical engineering. We, we had a, a semester of electrical engineering, fluid dynamics, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We had all these different exposure, all these different types of uh, engineering things and engineering mathematics and all that. And so that, that just kind of works with my brain. I'm okay doing stuff by the leading of the Lord that I don't understand, but I'm not in my opinion, the best way to keep being deceived is to to have a biblical foundation and understanding for what you're doing. Because I don't have to prove anything to anybody else, but I do have to prove some things to me. The questions I am most concerned about having answers for are the ones that are inside of me. I study... I don't study to preach. I study to answer my questions. And I have learned that if I will be truly honest with myself, if I will not allow myself to snow myself, I will not override the input of the Holy Ghost that says, you think that's an answer, but it's not the right one. Or you think that's the answer, and it's only part of the answer. And I have learned through the years to trust that. And when I've trusted it, instead of just accepting where I was with what I knew and understood, 
uh, at that time, uh, if I would pursue what I was feeling and study, I would find that all of a sudden the Lord would take a subject that I thought I knew all this about and I would find quickly I only knew this much about it because what he began to open up to me demonstrated how much more on that subject that I did not know. And so therefore over time I have come to the understanding that it is an impossibility for anybody to be an expert on any subject in the Word. The reason being is because there is no subject in the Word that is finite in potential knowledge of that subject or understanding of that subject. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is the last verse of the Gospel of John uh, there are many other things which Jesus did and said, which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So if the gravitational force of the earth was the ceiling of the library and all of the terra firma of the earth was the floor of the library, that, that this library could not contain all the books that would have to be written just concerning the things that Jesus did, that Jesus did and said. Reader's Digest can eat their heart out because God is the master condenser. He took all of that knowledge and condensed it down to a, a, enough material you can hold it in, in, in if you get this print small enough, just in your hand. <laughs> I have been a few times in my life, especially when I was younger, some guy came to the pulpit <laughs> he was carrying one of those family bibles <clears throat> big bible little knowledge <laughs> little bible <laughs> just kidding that's just that's that's what went through my my head and it proved to be true in this particular case he was trying to fake us out with the size of his bible we've been a whole lot better off if 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 there had been less in size in that page and more in his head and heart that's another story. So the, the point I'm, I'm trying to make is this. The, the more sure my understanding of the Word of God and knowledge of the Word of God and revelation of the Word of God that I have in me, the less susceptible I am to deception, whether self-deception or what. The most dangerous deception anybody is vulnerable to is self-deception. Because it is really, really easy to put a thus saith the Lord on your own thoughts and opinions and ideas. That is really easy to do. And, and, and all of that is dangerous enough when you're just talking about your daily walk with God and trying to get to heaven. But if you approach the devil with that, if you approach him from that foundation, with that foundation in your life, it's not good. It's not good. The loins are gird with the girdle of truth. Truth. Whatever's truth is not a lie. Whatever's lie is not truth. 
There is no middle ground between that. There's no such thing as a half truth. Any truth that has any element, any degree that is not true is a lie. The greatest, the most powerful deceptive tool in the world is truth that is polluted with, with a lie. Because, you know, I, we were in a restaurant the other day, uh, for our, our 46th anniversary and my wife got these coconut shrimp and, uh, I, I was, I got stuffed shrimp and, and the crab meat part was good, but the shrimp was a little old and chewy. She said, well, you should have got this. I said, listen, the only place coconut should be is wrapped inside the dark sweet chocolate of a mound's candy bar. Not on the outside of shrimp. You just, you can't afford to swallow a lie that's been coated with truth so you don't notice the lie. To get children to take medicine, they make the, the the outside of the medicine taste good, if possible. Because that's the way you get medicine past the child. Well, that principle works all the time, doesn't it? And you know something? It doesn't matter how thick the coating of truth is and how small the section of lie is. It's deception. And we are vulnerable to that when we don't know the word. Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scripture or the power of God. Show me somebody that doesn't know the power of God and I'll show you somebody that doesn't know the scripture. Show me somebody that appears to have the power of God, but they don't have truth. And I'll show you a deception. Since she is no longer with us, and even though this is streamed and there's some of his, her fans still around, so be it. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just telling you what I know. Back this area, Maryland and Pennsylvania, in the late 60s and the 70s was some of the strongest, some of the key early leaders of the charismatic movement was in this area. And while California took it to the nth degree in size of churches and all that. And then some of their leaders became very uh, powerful. The, the founding leaders, the, the, some of the early leaders of the charismatic movement were all out here on the East Coast. And Catherine Kumo was from Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. And she had a big tabernacle there that was erected for her. And people were driving buses from all over the nation to watch her perform. Oh, they were participating in ministry, what they call but it was a performance. And she would heal people, and and, and she she heal it. It was all this, and and I'm a young preacher, and 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 and, and uh, at the time we were smaller than the uh, the needless to say very small compared to the charismatic churches. They were booming, and uh, and the, uh, the Assembly of God Church here was in the process of becoming charismatic, and 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 a couple of the Church of Gods they they were on the decline because they weren't going to come become charismatic, but they were dying. And so here we were, and we were fighting all of that, and that spirit was just so strong, and nobody nobody opposed us in this area like the charismatics did. 
they were the ones that said all the bad stuff about us. And I'm frustrated out of my mind. I'm saying, God, you know, we don't have these miracles in our church, in any, any church in this area that I know of. What, what's going on here? And after I pestered him long enough, he finally said, well, let me tell you what's really going on. I thought, okay, because that's really what I'm asking. He said, uh, if you notice carefully the things she heals, it's all stuff that has, that's the result of a spirit of infirmity. And so you got this big audience of people and somebody comes up with cancer and there's a spirit of affliction, of infirmity of cancer. And she has the power over their spirits because she works with them. And if you ever heard her talk and ever saw her presence, it was spooky. Not from a holy standpoint. It was like watching a wizard at work. Because that's exactly what it was. And she'd take that spirit of infirmity of cancer off that person and the symptoms would disappear and the place would go nuts. And then somebody would come up with diabetes, which is a spirit of infirmity. And she'd take that off of them and all of their symptoms would be healed. But what they didn't know was she was just switching spirits of infirmity around. So the guy that had diabetes left there with a spirit of cancer, but he didn't know it because it takes a while for cancer to manifest. And the person with, the person with cancer didn't know it, but they left there with a spirit of infirmity of diabetes. And to the crowd, she was a great healer. And all she was doing was manipulating spirits. But because it took sometimes years for that person to come up with symptoms from that spirit infirmity, it was a long enough period of time nobody traced it back to her. I told that story one place. Some great man of God says, I made the statement that uh, sometimes we have the spirit, these spirits of affliction, like cancer, because there's an open door in our spirit. Not, all, not, not always, but there's sometimes that's the case. And, uh, and somebody got all offended with me because this great brother, etc. in our movement, died of cancer, and you're saying he had bitterness? I didn't say that. I'm just sharing the principle here. Uh, I don't know my wife's heart, know it pretty well, but certainly not, not like Jesus. I don't believe she had bitterness that allowed her to get breast cancer. And the peace with which she handled it without fear would certainly indicate to me she didn't have bitterness because you can't have peace if you've got bitterness. 
And if you got bitterness, you don't have peace. You have fear. So because, because we don't understand things in the spirit, sometimes we're operating things, and the Lord allows us to operate them a while, and he operates them through us for a while, and we don't understand it. But there should be something in us that wants to go back and understand it. I want to understand how stuff works, why it works. I understand that my finite brain, even with the spirit of revelation explaining stuff to me, is never going to understand it all. But I've got to have enough understanding, enough knowledge and understanding of that knowledge to have a sure foundation. As I said yesterday morning, peace is your foundation. You're shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And, and, and if I'm going to have a sure foundation in the, in the worst fights so that I don't fall, I've got peace. My peace is built upon my knowledge of of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, understanding of it, and that it's absolutely biblical and that it will not fail. It's, again, going back to last night's message, the uh, the part about uh, speaking, saying to the mountain. The iceberg principle of prayer again. We want the tip. We want to speak the word and it happen right then without realizing all that's underneath the surface of that tip that looked like it worked. All that prayer, all that devotion, all that relationship that's all the foundation for that tip of the iceberg. So when you're speaking to a mountain, it takes true faith, understanding of the process to not waver when you speak and it doesn't look like anything's happened. And so the, the process of that is, you speak and keep on speaking until the moment comes that you feel a release and a confirmation in your spirit that it's done, even though it doesn't look done. And at that moment, you don't ever speak against the mountain again. You just keep thinking until you see the mountain gone. Because, again, we got to get this out of our minds. We are not trying to persuade God to do anything. Daniel couldn't see behind the scenes. He, he was not privy at that point into the, into the goings-on in the other world. He just prayed. He had faith in God. He prayed. And he prayed for 21 days. And he kept asking for 21 days. And he didn't get the answer till the 21st day. And the angel shows up and say, says, let me tell you what's been going on while you've prayed. We do not understand. That our prayers give the angels the authority to operate in this world. 
Oh, no, God does that. Really? Really? <laughs> really? And so God is so sovereign in this world. He told me and you to pray for his name to be sanctified. And God is so sovereign in this world that he told me and you to pray for his kingdom to come. And this is the real kicker. And God is so sovereign in the earth that he's told you and I to pray for what he has purposed in heaven, his will to be done in the earth. Am I saying God's powerless? No. He has so much power. He has the ability to limit himself. He's the only one that can limit himself and not be sin. If you and I limit God, that's sin. Israel limited God. And it was sin. But God has limited himself. And he does nothing in the earth except through man. And he gave dominion over the earth to man. And when man sinned, Satan got the prize. And since man is the one that gave it up, God's not going to take it back unless he can find men to do it through. So we pray and ask for something that doesn't happen to go, <laughs> prayer doesn't work, what's wrong with God? And you have no idea what's going on. Daniel's prayer, faithfully for 21 days, gave permission. It was the conduit through uh, which the angels were able to battle the prince of this world, the God of this world, who wanted to keep the answer from being manifested. You stop praying before it happens, and the angels have to stop working. And we could spend the rest of the day with Scripture demonstrating that directly and indirectly. That is a biblical principle. Well, this just feels stupid. I've asked this 10,000 times and nothing's happening. That's because the ignorant one is you. I didn't say stupid. I said ignorant. Because you're ignoring the fact that there's two worlds here. The one you can see and the one you can't. And the stuff you're asking for can only be produced by the God of that other world, that other dimension, the Almighty God. And the adversary has the authority to attempt to block everything we're doing. Let me tell you something right now. If he had the authority to approach Jesus and try to make a deal with him. If he had the authority to approach Jesus and try to block the eternal plan of God. By trying to make a deal with Jesus. Do you think he doesn't have the authority to try to block what your God's wanting to do through you? My God. You think he doesn't have the ability to do that? You think he doesn't have the right to do that? 
I told you on the first night that I was going to teach things this week that, that if, if you would just listen to me, you say, what does that have to do with spiritual warfare? Cause my dear friends and brothers and sisters, everything is warfare. Whether it's consciously warfare or not consciously warfare, it is warfare. Because the adversary is the adversary. He opposes Second <laughs> Thessalonians chapter two verse three, please. Let's test you for the first time as well. Oh, not, not, yeah, look at you. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Listen to, listen to this next verse. Whoso opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. Did, did you get this now? He doesn't just oppose some things. He opposes everything. Do you think you got up this morning with him being in agreement with it? Do you think your next breath is his choice? Do you think he's the one letting your heart beat the next beat? He is a liar and he's also death. He's a murderer. I brother, I, I don't know how I can bear the weight of that responsibility thinking about the devil. I don't think about the devil. <laughs> I have a hiding place. I have a place that I can put myself into by, only by my choice. The invitation's there, the door's open, but I have to choose to go in there. Abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in me. So I don't have to go around, ooh, there's a devil under that tree, and there's one, oh, I, and you, we all know there's a devil in PA systems. We know that. There's a devil in PGE&E, too. Baltimore Gas Electric Company, because we have three-phase power to this building. And what you don't know was, what it was a, what, around 9 o'clock, t- 10 after 9, they shut down one phase of power just just a few minutes before we started. Guess what? That shuts down our equipment. There would have not going to be any PA, no streaming, no nothing today. Isn't that amazing? They could have shut that down at 7. They could have shut that down yesterday at 2.30. They shut that down at 10 minutes after 9, 20 minutes before service started, cut off all of our ability. To both re- to, 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 to broadcast through a microphone, to record this video, audio, to stream this to the world. Wow. The mistake some people is it make us they become aware of what the devil's doing, and they forget about God. Because everything they do is sweating the devil. Sweaty. They become devil chasers. I believe in spiritual warfare with all my heart, but I am not a devil chaser. I'm not a devil chaser. I don't go around chasing devils everywhere. (laughs) So 
Psalms 91.1. Boy, this is fun. These notes, I got some great notes here. Praise God. Psalms 91 and 1. Listen to this. Ah. Well, you, you faked me out the first time. Psalms 91 and 1. 91 and 1. 91. Do I hear 91 and 1 too? Okay. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Next. No, 91 and 1. Thank you. There you go. He that, <laughs> he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You're dismissed. Everything else is explained in that. That's right. I don't have to be a devil chaser. I just have to abide in the secret place of the Most High. And how do I get there? Pursue Him. Not chase devils. Pursue Him. Pursue Him. Seek Him. Pursue Him. Now, my mom and dad were born in the South. I wasn't raised in the South. I talked like this because my mom and dad talked like this. It's true. So, but I have on a few occasions lived in the South and, and the, the state bird of Louisiana is a mosquito. And in Northern Florida, it's pretty close. And you ever been someplace trying to do something? Just, you just, you don't stop what you're doing. You just, without even realizing, you just, You don't change what you're doing. Hello? You don't change what you're doing. You don't stop what you're doing. You don't, you don't suddenly have a whole focus. These mosquitoes. You just keep what you're doing. And on occasion, I have this side of me. On occasion. When I get really, really frustrating, I like to plug in my bug zapper and watch for entertainment. <laughs> ah, that's one's got a little bit of my blood in him. How'd that fry? Let's see here. I remember this as if it was this moment. It was... Uh, Right after midnight, January the 1st, 1974, we had been using another apostolic group's church building, and they were so kind to us and letting us use it, but we outgrew their building, outgrew them. And uh, I found a building. It was a warehouse and made a deal with a guy that, uh, <laughs> this was a joke, you talk about faith. Or ignorance one. It had to be faith. God blessed it. But they wanted $2,000 a month. And he agreed to let that $2,000 a month for the first six months go toward the purchase price. But at the end of the six months, which happened to be January the 1st, if we weren't able to purchase it, we lost all that money. And Dollars have always been precious. 
I told this this weekend, but the other day we were going through some stuff and we found my wife's uh, record book, diary record, record book for 1970, which was the year my ministry began full-time because I got out of the Navy, medically retired because I got a paralyzed right shoulder blade. And uh, the... Um, we started evangelizing the first weekend of January and goes through all of that. And and I remember this but didn't remember the date. We held our first service. We moved into town twelfth September of nineteen seventy. We, we we were we able to have it wasn't we weren't starting regular services, we just were desperate to have a church service. And 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 uh, we had our first service on the the uh, night of uh, December uh the fifth no, the seventh. Saturday night, the seventh, nineteen seventy, and uh, uh, we had there was ten of us from Annapolis there, people we had invited, and there were thirty people from the church in Alexandria who came over for our service, and we, we received an offering. It was our very first offering, and I was working such hours, and the banks were open such a short period of time. Then I couldn't get to the bank to open an account. I was going to use that money to open our church checking account, and 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 I it. Every day, I, I, I was getting home too late for it. And on Friday, I took off early to come home and get that money in the bank. And when I walked in the house, the money was gone. Somebody had broken into a couple of the apartments. And the only thing they took from our apartment was the first offering ever taken here. So you got to understand something. Money's always been precious. Never been enough of it to do what the vision What's needed for the vision? Never. So far. And so we were, we were making this, this, and I, I'm, at that time, I see I would have been 28, and I'm feeling all this responsibility and all this pressure, and I'm just, no, excuse me. I was 27. I was 28, six weeks after this. And I'm feeling all this responsibility and that money, that two thousand dollars might have been, might as well have been two hundred thousand. It was so big to me, and we paid God had miraculously supplied from different sources every month that two thousand dollars every month for six months. Not one penny of that came out of our church, and not one penny of that was asked for. It was the most amazing thing to watch God supply it through all these different means, and no person gave two thousand dollars more than once. And none of them knew we needed it. And so for sick, this, all this God supplied money that let us be in that building. And the deadline, I had, I had to, I had to be able to exercise or execute the contract by the 31st of December, 1973, or we lost all our money. And I kept waiting for a miracle and waiting for a miracle and waiting for a miracle, and it did not happen. And, and we were having an all-night prayer meeting. We started at 6 on, on uh, December the 31st, and we were going to 6 a.m. on January the 1st. And uh, about midnight, we'd been praying and having church for almost six hours, and everybody was asleep, and I was sitting in the chair. Uh, this little folding chair I had on the platform area. And I was so depressed, discouraged. All that money gone, gone, gone. 
And all of a sudden, I got mad. And this is the first time I prayed this, but it hasn't been the last. It was probably 15, 20 minutes after, after midnight. I worked through all of my disappointment and frustration, whatever. And I got to telling the devil just what I thought of him. And I said, and I mean it. <laughs> I changed my mind. I said, I'm going to ask for a special dispensation from God in heaven. It's not going to take long. But I just want to stand on the, on the crest of hell and look down in there and watch you fry. And I'm going to mock you. I'm going to mock you. I'm going to laugh at you while you fry. I realized that night that I had a problem. I needed to make sure that my hatred for the devil never got greater than my love for God. I will admit to you there have been times that it's been close. I had somebody, I was preaching them on this one night, and somebody said, oh, poor devil. I said, get out of here. You don't belong here. <laughs> poor, poor devil. Poor devil. Poor devil. <laughs> poor devil. Somehow, you've got to get the revelation of the other world. Of the other world. I remember as a kid, my dad brought home, I don't know where he found it, but he, he had on 16 millimeter film uh, the series by the Moody Bible Science Institute showing how that science truly did confirm the word of God. True science confirmed the word of God. And, and, and in this one particular episode, this, the guy that was the, the, the speaker, the narrator, he stood up on this uh, transformer and put uh, metal thimbles in his fingers. And they turned the power on, and that power went through his body and came out as lightning bolts out of his fingertips. And when they shut it down, he got off there and said, Now, you, you're wondering how I did that, and I'm not dead. I'm not dead because the reason it went in the air was it had no place to go. I wasn't grounded. If I had been grounded and the circuit had been closed, I'd be fried. But because I wasn't grounded, that electricity passed through my body and didn't affect me at all. And he went from there and talked about the fact that this other world exists. And he talked about how all that we consider, you know, I'm not going to believe in anything I can't see, feel, touch, or taste. And he talked about the amount of space there, really empty space there was in all solid things. For instance, in the most simple example, the hydrogen atom has one nuclei and one electron. And he, he, he used this. He said, to give you some idea of the approximate amount of space in a hydrogen atom, if you put a basketball on the 50-yard line of a football field and a table tennis ball on the goal line, 
That's how much matter there is in a hydrogen atom versus how much space there is. So he says, there is this whole other world that exists right where we are. This whole other dimension that exists right here. And we're unaware of it. And most people live their whole lives unaware of it. But Christians can't afford to be unaware of it. Acts 17, let's try verse 17, we'll go from there. Uh, No, let's go to 23. For as I passed by and have beheld your devotions, I found in all of this in Scripture the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should, they should what? Seek the Lord, if happily or if if by chance or possibility, that they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Next verse. How close is he? For in him, We, every human, every living thing, in him we live. He's speaking now to the Athenians, the philosophers, those that didn't know who God was, that put up an altar of the unknown God just to make sure they were covering all their bases. To them, he said, for in him we, we all, in him we live and move and have our being. I got to be honest with you. I'm so privileged to travel and minister. And I've walked in places that if everything in me won't turn right around and walk out. Because it did not take long for me to understand that they were trying to have church completely disassociated with the other world. It was all a performance. They just going through the motions. They had it all down. They were Pentecostalists. They didn't know Jesus. Didn't know anything about Jesus. There was nothing. We say stuff like, where did God go? Uh, let's see. Let's talk physics a minute here. Okay. All right. He fills all space. To go anywhere, 
There has to be space where he's not. So he can move from where he is to where he isn't. So very technically, God literally can't go anywhere. So why don't we say the truth? How did I lose my connection? What just happened to cause me to become unaware of God being here right now? How did I break the connection between me and Jesus here? Because in Him we live. We, even those that are totally ignorant of Him, His existence, even though there's those that deny His existence, in Him we live and move and have our being. Isn't it wonderful? He can't go anywhere? Because if God really went someplace, we wouldn't die. We'd cease to exist. We have our being in Him. If He's not here any longer, we stop being. <laughs> My ministry started in 1968, June 68. And uh, officially, according to the United Pentecostal Church, that's when they dated my first six months to get my general license. Okay? So, I was, my ministry started in the United Pentecostal Church when we were terrified of spiritual things. The great majority of churches wouldn't even allow tongues of interpretation. Forget any kind of spiritual ministry. In fact, in many, many churches, you weren't even allowed to dance or shout or whatever because they were afraid that was wildfire. Literally. Well, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to let God tell me what to do. And those people that I'm submitted to as my covering, they, I've agreed and they've agreed that they have a right to tell me what to do. Because you can't have authority unless you're under authority. If there's nobody can tell you no, then you're not under authority. Pretty simple. My mother one time said, you're letting Lula May run your house. That's my mother-in-law. I said, Mom, I love you, but you just proved you don't have a clue who I am or anything about me. I have a hard enough time letting God run my life. My mother-in-law is not even in the picture. Because the bottom line was I wouldn't let her run my life. So, <laughs> here we are, okay? You couldn't seek after the Spirit. You didn't, you didn't really. They discouraged speaking in tongues in a lot of places, a lot of places. And, 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 and I'm a student of the book. Uh, 
And I'm, I'm hungering for the word, the things that are in the word. Ain't no, there's nobody telling me what I can, how much of God I can have and what, what is in that book I can't do. That's fine. And if you don't want me in your place doing that, thank you. I won't have to waste my time. Because I want the things of God. And if people don't like that, so be it. I want the things of God. And I'm not letting somebody else's fears. You know, I know this is so simple. And I told you I was going to be pretty simple today. Foundational stuff, okay? God is a... God is a... Spirits are supernatural. So if I deny the supernatural, I am denying. That's a nice little formula, isn't it? You see the progression there? Now, I don't know if that's theology or not, but I'll tell you what it is. That's theoretical mathematics. Practical mathematics uses numbers. Theoretical mathematics uses principles and facts. So that's not theology right there. That is theoretical mathematics, using the facts. God is a spirit. Spirit is supernatural. You deny the supernatural, you deny God. So what are you doing in church worshiping someone you deny because he's a spirit and that's supernatural? David moves the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh to Jerusalem. That didn't stop the priests. No, sir, buddy. Their job depended on those sacrifices. And they only needed that Ark once a year on the Day of Atonement because that was the only day they could go by beyond the veil. So it didn't stop them at all from offering all their sacrifices every day and going into the holy place and eating the bread and making sure the lampstand is full of oil and keep the altar incense burning before a veil behind which there's nothing. And some miles away in Jerusalem, there's this three-sided tent. God gave specific instructions to Moses, what the tabernacle was supposed to be exactly like. You won't find God telling David how to build his tabernacle at all. David's desire for God built his tabernacle. Moses' tabernacle, the holiest of all, was restricted from only one person a year getting into the holiest of all, the high priest on the Day of Atonement. David's tabernacle, it was only a three-sided tent. He appointed singers and and musicians to play and sing before God 24-7. And anybody, regardless of your family lineage, could come and worship before the, the altar of God, which represented the presence of God. And all the while, the priests were over in Shiloh, 
killing animals and shedding blood and collecting blood and going to the brazen labor, washed up, put like they had done for centuries, and then going to the holiest of all. It didn't matter to them at all. The ark wasn't behind that second veil. They just kept on doing what they'd always been doing. Excuse the vernacular, but you're kidding me, right? Really, honestly. You did, this is a practical joke, right? There's some hidden camera somewhere, and all of a sudden, everybody's going to say, Hey, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. Let's all go to Jerusalem and worship before the presence of God. We're just kidding. We're just see. We're just checking to see how sharp you've been here. No cameras. It was all just as real for them. As it had been, what does that tell you about them before? The ark didn't matter to them while it was there. Their job, therefore their pay, everything their family had, war, ate, all came because of their service at the altar and their service at the labor and their service in the holy place. And so everything was about service and nothing was about worship and nothing was about presence of God and nothing about honoring God and nothing about fellowshipping with God. It was all about service and they didn't need the presence of God for their service to continue. In fact, to be honest with you, they were probably just a little bit offended that, that David messed up their franchise. Because they were the only ones allowed to do this stuff. And everybody needed them to get to God. And David messed it up. Because he said, you don't need all these people to get to God anymore. I've built this for you you know somewhere in the book of Acts it says that God is going to restore again the tabernacle of David which was torn down in the book of Acts in reference to the church God said he was going to restore again the tabernacle of David that was torn down Meaning everybody's got access. You want a fellowship with God? He's available 24-7. You, you, you want to know God? He's available. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, you see. Because the preachers aren't the priests. Because the priests were the go-between between the people and God. And they couldn't get to God except through the priests. But in the New Testament, we're all priests. And the fivefold ministry is not our go-between between us and God because Jesus did away with that. There is one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus, and the preacher's not him. So what is the preacher? Well, that's what Ephesians 4.11 tells us. The fivefold ministry is given to the church for the full equipping of the saints. I'm giving you the little Greek now for verse 12. The fivefold ministry is given to the church for the full equipping of the saints that they may do the work of their ministry so the church can grow by their, thereby. The church isn't built from a pulpit. It's built from the flock. The flock produces sheep. 
The shepherd doesn't. I, I tweeted that one day. Sheep produce sheep, not shepherds. I posted it on my Apostolic Iron Facebook page. Put it on my page with my 5,000 friends. Right, friends. And people went ballistic. What do you mean preachers aren't supposed to be soul winners? I didn't say that. I said, preachers don't, uh, shepherds don't produce sheep. Sheep do. You know, in most states, it's still against the law. But not in most churches. Because in most churches, the shepherd's still trying to impregnate the sheep. Spiritually. And we wonder what's wrong. Natural or speech spiritual bestiality is an abomination to God. God's not going to bless an abomination. Maybe we ought to reinstitute the spiritual, the, reinstitute the, 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 the Old Testament punishment for bestiality. Start throw, throwing stones at every preacher who wants to be the father of the children in this context. The reason preachers have taken that under themselves and people have allowed them is because that lets them play Catholic apostolics where they just sit and applaud. And it doesn't require anything of them except to come to church and pay their, t- their money, pay their admission. I was in Boston a couple of months ago. And we visited the Old North Church that's famous because that's where the, the signal was given from. We visited a church. It was a it was an Anglican church that just happened to be in an Irish Catholic neighborhood. And, and all the pews were cordoned off by little boxes. And your family bought the box. And you had month yearly dues to pay for your seats. And the people that visited that didn't have a box had to sit in the balcony. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like God, doesn't it? There wasn't one sheepfold. Every little family had their own little sheepfold right inside the building. God's a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I got a question. Let's do a little theoretical math again. Okay. Worship is ministry to God. The requirement to be a true minister to God is that both the dimensions of spirit and truth are equally operating in the worshiper's life to be a true worshiper in ministry to God. 
Now, people are more important to God than God because we don't expect spirit and word, spirit and truth to have to be operative in the ministry to people. Eh. Wrong answer. One more time, please. So you're telling me that for the most critical ministry, ministry to God, ministry to God, to be a true ministry, minister to God, requires spirit and truth. And I'm going to try to worship or minister to people with less With less? Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. I cringe every time I've heard a preacher say, well, I'm a word preacher. Whoo, please let me know where you're preaching because I'm not showing. Because I don't want a half a ministry because half a ministry is false. I'm not talking about calling people out and reading their mail. That's not what I'm talking about. But you don't have a true ministry if there's not an equal dimension in that ministry of spirit and truth. I've said it before. I'm not opposed to education. I'm not opposed to people studying, learning more and all that. But when you take your education and your intellect and presume to come up with sermons that people need to hear and polish them all up so they're perfect and pretty and, 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 and interesting to listen to. And expect there to be results from that. <laughs> this is an awesome set of notes. One of the most specific instructions in the scripture on ministry, on how to minister, and yet one of the most damning if it's compared to the standard approach of Pentecostal preachers today is Jeremiah 23. And I'm going to read a little bit. And for your sake, instead of reading it here so I can just fly, I'm going to wait for it to come on the screen. Let's try around verse 10. Jeremiah 10, 23, 10. Uh, back up one. How about eight? Oh, why not seven? How about one? Let's go fast now. If I want to stop, I'll tell you to go back, okay? Woe be to the, huh? To the what? To do what? And? What? What? Let's go back to Genesis 1-1 to get to this, because this is too hard to start with, right? Hey, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just reading what Jesus said. 
Because the Jesus of the new is Jehovah the old, right? Everybody in agreement on that? Okay, okay. Right. So, you ready? Here we go. Woe be to the pastors, the pastors, the shepherds that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Now, the rest of this chapter is going to tell you how a pastor's, a pastor destroys and scatters sheep. Next verse. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. There, behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds and they shall be full, fruitful and increase. Wait, wait, wait. Who's going to be fruitful and increase? The sheep. And I will set up shepherds over them, which will feed them, which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. This is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is what they're going to say. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all the countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom mine uh, whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. For the land is full of adulterers, for because of swearing the land mourneth. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, and the, the, their course is evil, and their for, force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. Now, now, now get this, he's not talking about morality. He's going to tell you what their wickedness is. Wherefore their ways shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria that prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem and horrible things. Seen in the prophets of Jerusalem, a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers. That none do it doth return from his wickedness. When you're preaching and nobody's changing, you're in trouble with God. When you're preaching and nobody's changing, you're in trouble with God. They are all un- of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make 
make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They make you vain. The preacher that's supposed to be feeding, equipping, leading, caring for God's flock is making them empty, worthless, of no value. They speak a vision. How are they doing this? How are they doing this? What is it God is so upset with? What is it that he's, he's pronounced all this judgment on? What is it that these preachers, prophets are doing that are so harming the people of God? They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. You would be better if you don't have a word to go to that service and turn it into a prayer meeting than to get up and say, well, I don't really have a word tonight, but I feel like this. You feel. You think. Well, I'm preaching out of the Bible. Yeah, so does thousands of preachers of all different kinds of faith every Sunday. So... When my sons were home and they had been begun to acknowledge a call to preach, I hammered this and hammered this and hammered this and hammered this. And there's never a time any of us can stop remembering this. And I pray this. Lord, these are not my people. They're yours. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what their problems are. I don't know what their needs are. When they walk in this building today, I don't know. You're the only one that knows. And Father, I surrender and commit myself to you to let, to be a conduit for you to speak to your people. Because you're the only one that knows what they need and what to say to that need. And so all I can do is be a conduit. Forget my sermon, forget my notes, whatever. When I get there, when God begins to speak to his people, I better let him. And if he told me in advance what he wanted to say, and I happen to have notes on it, more power to me. But what he wants to say better be what is allowed to be said. Because he's not happy otherwise. Brother Haney said to me, when, 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 when we first started Manifest, I went to, I flew to St. Louis and met Brother Urshan. I said, Brother Urshan, I have a burden to do this kind of meeting. This is what, a, what we want to do. And it's based on the way they used to do meetings in the first part of the last century. This is how we want to do it. This is what we want to do. But I want you to know something, Brother Urshan. I'm submitted to you. And the day you are not comfortable with what's going on. Now, he knew me. I knew him. He knew I wasn't blowing smoke. I said, the day you're not comfortable with what's going on and what you're hearing is going on. You call me and ask, 
and I tell you what's going on, my side of what's going on, and you say, I'm not comfortable with that, Brother Wright, I want you to shut it down. Brother Urshan, there won't be an argument. There will be no yeah buts. The day you say shut it down, it will be shut down. So Brother Haney was reelected. I got together with Brother Haney. I said the same exact thing. And this is what he said to me. Brother Wright, I'm sorry I haven't been able to get to your meeting. I said, Brother Haney, it's not a problem. I understand, not a problem. He said, but I'm going to tell you this. I've heard nothing but good about it. And he said, this is the thing that concerns me. Most of the meetings in our organization today, including the one I started in my church, have become nothing but preaching competitions. And he said, I am so deeply grieved by it. Am I saying that the word of the Lord, the, the word, the rhema of God's never spoken? I'm not saying that. I'm quoting him. I don't know. God's the judge. I'm not the judge. But don't sit there and tell me you don't know within a few moments after a man begins to speak whether he's got a rhema or not. And when you walk out of a building and there's no impact in your spirit and there's no residue of that word working in your mind, you didn't hear a word from God. You just heard a sermon. The word of the Lord fills up. The word of man empties. That's what the, that's what the scripture just said. It would be better to preach John 3 and 5 as a rhema than the most eloquent, unique thought you've ever heard in your life or anybody else has ever heard. It would be better to preach the simplest little old thing that everybody has heard 10,000 times, but it's a rhema from God for that service to those people there than to preach the most eloquent, powerful sermon anybody's ever heard because the rhema fills and satisfied man shall not live by bread alone but by every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God sermons empty rhema fills and if you're studying to preach before getting a rhema you're confessing what you're doing. How can you study to preach before you know what God wants to say? Well, it's getting close to church time. I got to have something. I think I've already covered that, but just for good measure, let's do it again. You can't. <laughs> You can't sermonize. That's religion. I appreciate all of our efforts of our Bible schools to teach people the Word of God and teach them how to study. And I guess people need help in learning how to deliver a message. Obviously, you can tell I've never had that instruction. 
because an introduction, three points, and a conclusion with a couple of illustrations just kind of repulsive to me. I'm very sorry if that's what you've been taught, but... And I know people have been told, don't you go more than 30 minutes. Oh, well. The Lord says any sermon longer than 30 minutes is too long. Really? No, religion says. Because if you're following God, he may say everything he's got to say in five minutes. Or if you're following God, it may take him 45. But you just busted through that 30-minute limit. No. I prefer people to be taught how to pray and fast, how to be sensitive to the voice of God, how to hear the voice of the Spirit of God, how to discern rhema, so that when they go to that pulpit, they know what they're speaking is what God has given them to say to his people. Well, what if I don't have a word? Well, let me tell you what I learned through experience. Those times that I was so panicky because I went to the pulpit and I didn't have a word and I didn't know what I was going to do. And the spirit began to flow. And because I didn't have a preconceived sermon down to fulfill my obligations so I could keep getting my paycheck, I picked up on where the spirit was going. It began to flow with that. Next thing you know, ministry was taking place. People were getting prayed for. People were getting healed. People were getting delivered. People were getting strengthened, refreshed, and whatever. And you get through that and you go, that's why he didn't give me a word to preach. He had other stuff he wanted to do. You know, I, I got this, I got this weird hang up. I just kind of believe that the church is his. I know it's weird. I know that's weird because we talk about my church all the time, right? We said my church, my church, my church, my church. I just, I just kind of honestly believe it's his. And that he has a right to do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it, when he wants to do it. I just kind of, I know it's a weird hang up. I realize that makes me really strange, but I really believe that. I really believe that. And if you just really can't get past the pressure and expectations of people, then do what Andrew Urshan used to do. Brother Urshan told me several times, I heard him also tell it publicly. He said, the stuff my dad was known for didn't happen in church. He said, he'd get up and hurry that service along get it done out of the way and dismiss everybody. And then he'd say, and if any of you would like to tarry and wait on God with me and see what God would like to do and say, just stick around. He said, my dad called it the second service. And everything he's known for that happened in church happened in the second service. When you got rid of the curiosity seekers and those just putting in their time and you were left with the hungry, then God could move. If you really have to go through the motion... Get it done. Preach five minutes. Take their offering so that you and them are happy. They've been there. And say, you know, you're dismissed. Okay, see ya. Now, for those of us who want something more than that. I'll tell you what really works. By the time you wind down a message now, 
you know, especially if you go a little long, you can do this, and, 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 it's, and it's not obvious. I'm telling my secret now, okay? You start. Now, if you really need to go, you're welcome to go. Please, just don't be embarrassed. It's okay. Nobody's going to be upset with you. you. You can go. If you need to go, go ahead. You, you got stuff you got to go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, 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 go. go. Come on, come on, go. Go. Ah, I'm seeing some smile from Antiochers. Because you thought I was being really nice. I wasn't being nice at all. I was inviting those who had already left but were sitting here in body to get out of here so we could have a move of God. Okay now, all right. You've just been putting in your time. You came here with the time you had to leave. We probably approached that or just a little bit past it, and now you're antsy, and now you're putting pressure on me, and I don't do pressure well. So i tell you what let's do. Just, we, we, I, 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 please understand, I just can't stop this so you can convenient go so it's okay it's okay go ahead just just go quietly that's all i'm asking just don't disturb people around just go you say you don't really do that preacher do i do that antioch and if i'm comfortable enough for, for the guy i'm preaching for I presume to do that in his pulpit. Okay, uh, we got to, we're going to pray. You can go, you can go, you can go. Those that want to stay, and then it's, if you're staying, you're praying. If you're not praying, you're leaving. God has a right to be in control. You know, I got some scars on my hands, but it's from replacing worn-out joints with artificial joints. They, they, they're not here where the nail went, they're here. So I, I got scars, but just not in the right place to indicate that I died for anybody. And, well, I got acne, and I got all these scars from acne. And one of these days, I'm going to grow up and stop getting pimples because I'm not that old yet. My face hasn't been disfigured by people's fists while they hit me and then told me to prophesy who hit him. And Isaiah 52 says his visage, his face was marred more than any man. So all these beautiful pictures of Jesus are a lie. Because the only way we're going to be able to stand to see his face in heaven is because we will know those scars help purchase our salvation. And my back doesn't look like a plowed field. And this isn't mine. And I'm not in control. He is. Let's go back to the last verse I read, please. They say still upon them, unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. And they shall say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination. Is that the last verse I read? Go back to 16. Ah, there it is. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the word. You mean God is telling people not to listen to the preacher? I said, you mean God is telling people not to listen to the preacher? To the sermonizer? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. 
They speak a, how do they do that? They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Next verse. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. For, here it is now, here's the first, this is it right here. Here's your answer. How, what, here's how you please God as a man of God. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord? And hath perceived and heard his word. Who hath marked his word and heard it. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is going forth in fury. Even a grievous whirlwind, it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. Next verse. The anger of the, uh, of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, till he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, ye shall consider it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But, oh God, you connect verse 22. 22? Wow. I think it was 23. Oh, that's chapter 23. You connect verse 22 to verse 18. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read verse 18 again, and then we're going to skip to verse 22. You got it? Ready? Thank you. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? 22. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, not my word, Logos, my rhema, and to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. We got way too many guys that are trying to preach preach conference style messages in their pulpit so somebody hears about it and they get invited to preach general conference some other service. You got to be kidding me. got to be kidding you weren't called to preach general conference or any other meeting you were called to that church and that church has a right to expect for you to get up and say thus saith the Lord and if you don't know how to say thus saith the Lord then you need to find some place alone with God till you learn how to say to hear so you can say thus saith the Lord Oh, God. There's very few chapters in the Bible that brings more soberness to me and puts more fear of God in my heart than Jeremiah 23. In fact, sitting, standing here right now as a servant of God, from that context, as a servant of God, There really is no other chapter that brings more of a fear of God to my life than this chapter.
a friend of mine. I, I, I love this guy. He's really a good guy, honestly. And he's hungry for revival, but sometimes the old pressure of Pentecostalism just kind of bleeds through. I was in a situation with him one time. He said, uh, it, 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 was, it was normal to him. It was, just, it, it was no big deal. And he goes, he, he was telling me about this camp he had been called to preach. It, and, he, and he shows up. And he said, I, I got there and, and, and I thought I was preaching the night services. And then I found out that I was preaching the day sessions too. And he said, I brought my four best messages and I had to quickly call my secretary and have her send my next three best messages. And I went, really? I, I, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't know what to say. I just, I, I, I didn't feel the Lord tell me to challenge him on that. I just, I, my, my whole spirit just kind of, and I thought to myself, as much as I love you, I'm so happy I'm not coming to that camp. Because you're going to get up there, preach that stuff you've preached and practiced, and you're going to deliver that. And people are going to rave about how great these messages are, and you and them are going to be cheated. Because you didn't hear from God, and you didn't let God use you, and you're going to feel good about all their praise and adulation, and they're going to leave there empty without any kind of word from God to give them strength and direction for the days ahead. Everybody loses. Everybody loses. Everybody loses. I'm going to read this one again, please. Not only does this chapter bring the fear of the Lord to my heart. I said this to somebody the other day. I can't tell you the number of times in the last 46 years that having to preach saved me. Because I was struggling so bad. Just going through so much stuff with myself. If I could have, I wouldn't even go to church. But I had to go to church. Because I was in charge of that service. I was preaching. And because I feared God too much to just show up and go through the motions, I prayed for that service and humbled myself before God to hear from God to be able to speak his word to those people. And having to do that is the only thing that it started out as my only motive for praying. I feared God and I wasn't going to get in the pulpit and perform but because I feared God enough to pray for that, to get a word from God, I had to do some repenting. And I had to get some stuff straight. And I had to put some stuff on the altar. Because I couldn't hear from God with a mess going on in my life I was struggling with and wasn't de- hadn't dealt with. And the very fact I had to preach, and because I feared God too much to get up and get a can, get a can opener and bring something out of the can and, 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 and do a little performance... Having to preach saved me. Because I wouldn't, 
I, I, at that point in time, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have prayed for any other reason. I was that low. I was that frustrated with myself. I was that ashamed of whatever I had done or not done. And I wasn't ready to deal with it because I didn't have the faith to deal with it or I, I felt too embarrassed to deal with it or all, all the above. But it was time for church. I, I, I might have to go to church in a couple of hours. And sometimes I'd wait as long as I could in my stubbornness. Other times I, I, I'd be so afraid that I was so messed up I didn't have time to get all straight to be able to preach that I'd start a little earlier because I had so much to deal with that I'd been procrastinating dealing with. You can take that any way you want to take it. I, it you know, it's the truth. Just being honest with you here. Because that chapter puts the fear of God in me. And this verse challenges me every time I'm put in a position to speak to anybody regardless of the size of the group. Anytime I'm supposed to be ministering, whether it's to one person or 10,000 people. Here it is. This is the word of the Lord. This is the promise of God to every man of God. But if they had stood in my counsel, verse 18, one more time. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? 22. But if they had stood in my counsel, and had caused my people to hear my words, then, everybody say then, then, if they, how complicated, you want, you want, I'm going to give you a great church growth secret. Ready? Here it is. Wait on God. Learn how to hear the voice of God. Refuse to accept less than a rhema from God. And then by the grace of God, the empowerment of the Spirit of God, become a conduit and let that word flow through you to those people. Then it's going to happen. And what's then? Then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. The rhema of God changes the lives of those that hear it. We, we're so enamored with people's eloquence and how they put stuff together. Jeff Arnold is a good friend of mine. In fact, he preached his very first revival as a full-time evangelist here in Annapolis. I was on the phone with him the other day. And this is just Jeff, you know. He goes, right? I got a hold of, you know, I'm a sponsor of that meeting up at Brother Jerry Wayne Dillon's. I said, yes, sir. He said, I got a hold of those DVDs. I've been listening to that stuff you preached. 
right, you fry my brain. He said, I tell my friends, Wright has an anointed brain. And every time he says it, something cringes inside. And it makes me have to repent. And say, oh God, what in the world have I done? And how have I presented myself as the conduit to cause anybody to attribute what I'm saying? To my intellect. How, how have I conducted myself? What have I done? What mannerisms have I used? What, what attitude, what facial expressions have I used to cause somebody to conclude that that which is coming out of my mouth is coming out of my brain and not out of my spirit from you? What have I done? That's not verbiage, my friend. That's absolutely 100% the truth. I love Brother Arnold to death. And he means it as a compliment. And I, I appreciate him loving me and respecting me, blah, blah, blah. But hear me right now. That scares me to death. I told you last night. I left here yesterday afternoon. I was tired. My wife fixed me a little something to eat. And I'm sitting there and I I, I was really, I, I, I knew there was a flow and it was stuff I'd never ever ministered before, but I, I didn't remember. I, 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 because when I've got a flow, it's not going through my brain, so there's no memory to call back to. So I'll, I, sometimes, especially if I think, well, I might, I need a set of notes, and I want to study through that to make sure that I didn't. There was none of me in there, and what I said wasn't. I couldn't, can't defend it in case somebody calls me to question on it. I went back and listened to some of it, and because I knew where it came from, I could go, "Wow." Wow, Lord, you said some stuff. I was in Chicago the Sunday after general conference. Preacher Brother Rick Gonzalez, he's got some of his guys here. And I, I had a word from God for that church. I had a word. And I'm going to tell you what, there was a flow. My God, there was a flow. I, it was just, the, the place was vibrating. And, that, and, and it, the word was just, just absolutely just... And I, when I finally was able to lay the mic down, I went over and sat down in one of the seats. And one of the young men came up and was talking to me. And I said, I was trying to talk to him about some things that the Lord had said to me for him. And I said, do you know what I've been doing sitting here 
ever since I sat down for the microphone. I said to him, I've just been spending this time searching my heart in the spirit to see if there's any way I'm taking any credit for just what happened. That's the truth. He said, no flesh is going to glory in his presence. I don't want this flesh doing it. The glory is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. All, all the glory belongs to him. When you're letting the Lord do it, you know the Lord's doing it. The conduit doesn't brag about what's flowing through it. The glory of the conduit is it's the conduit. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. For if they had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Next verse. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? That's kind of King James language. It says, let me, let me, let me turn it around to the way some translations put it. I am a God at hand. I'm not a God who's far off. Next verse. Can any hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him? Saith the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? How can you hide from God that you're hiding in while you're trying to hide from? Whither shall I flee from his presence? How can you flee from God? He fills all space. You can't leave God. You can't, you can forsake God in your heart, but you can't leave where God is. Next verse. I have heard what the prophet said that prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams which they tell every man to his neighbor as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal the prophet that hath a dream let him tell a dream and he that hath my word let him speak my word faithfully what is the chaff To the wheat, saith the Lord. Did you hear what God just said? When you preach in your pretty sermon that he didn't give you instruction and word to preach, you feeding people with chaff. Rhema is wheat. Sermonizing is chaff. Next verse. Is not my word like a fire? You want fire in the church? Preach rhema. You preach sermons, you're pouring old cold water on the fire. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord? And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? <laughs> That's why the sword of the Spirit is the rhema of God. 
Because you got this, this mountain of resistance. You got this adversary that's come against you. And whether you see a sword against an enemy or a hammer against a mountain, you just keep pounding with that rhema. Pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it until that thing begins to crack and break. Try that with a wet noodle of a sermon. Oh, it's pretty. And it's eloquent. I think it's first. I'm coming back here, I think. First Corinthians 1.15, I think, is the verse. I think. Let's try that. No, that's not it. No, that's 1 Corinthians 15, 1. I want 1 Corinthians 1, 15. Uh, next verse. We're getting there. Next verse. Uh, here you go. I want you to get ready to go to, to the Amplified with this verse. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with, now notice, he didn't say, he's not saying that the sinners, they don't need to be baptized. He's preaching to people that have already been baptized. For Christ sent me not to be, not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, amplified. For Christ the Messiah sent me not to baptize, but to evangelize by preaching the glad tidings of the gospel. And that not with, not with verbal eloquence, lest the cross of Christ should be deprived of force and emptied of its power and, and rendered vain, fruitless, void of value and of no effect. You mean just trying to be eloquent can do that to the cross? That's what Paul said. Do you really want the curse of God on you for rendering his cross vain just to stroke your ego with some kind of eloquence in the pulpit? You say you're being too strong here, preacher. Oh, oh, yeah, because what I just read is really watered down. Yeah, and I've just intensified it beyond, beyond reason because, of course, the problem is really, I can't say it as strongly as that just said it. And God have mercy. Men that I knew that used to have fire and passion and effectiveness with Rama have followed the course of our current direction. And can't preach if it's not all written out with two or three adjectives for every noun. You hear me right now. You hear me. Hear me. God did not design the brain to process read aloud written words the way we process spoken language. Our brain does not process it the same 
our brain doesn't process it the same. I can't make the sentences as complicated when I'm speaking as I can when I'm writing. I can't do it. If you really want people to get your message, just pass it out, this everybody, this everybody, and beat the Baptist to the to the, the, the buffet. They'd get more out of reading it than you reading it to them. Oh, but I know so-and-so reads his. Yeah, there's some guys that got really good at it. And some of them are very good friends of mine, and I love them very much, and they know how I feel about it. One, one prophet of God, younger man, who was a protege of one of the greatest men of God in the last hundred years, was here preaching. And he pulls out his notes and starts reading and reading and reading. And after he's read all of his eloquence of a while, then he starts beginning to flow in the spirit and prophesying of this and calling this one out. We got in the car, took him to eat and pull up in front of his hotel. I said, I need to talk to you a minute, man. His mentor was dead and I wasn't trying to make myself his mentor but I had a relationship which I will not name because I don't know what you're guessing who this is. And uh, I, felt, I felt certain enough that God had spoken to me. I said this to him. I said, what you doing, man? He said, what are you talking about? You're, you're a man of the Spirit. What are you doing up there reading that stuff? Do you understand that when you get up there and read that stuff because you're communicating to people that you don't trust your ability to hear what God wants to say while you're preaching? Why should we believe then that you're, you're, you're hearing from God when you're prophesying? Why should I trust what you're prophesying if I can't trust you to hear what God is saying when you're preaching? He got mad at me. You don't understand. You've got a church. You've got an income. But I travel for a ministry. And people expect a certain level of eloquence where I preach. And I said, then you need to find new places to preach. Because you're devaluing yourself. Don't tell me you trust your ability to hear the voice of God when you stand up there reading that stuff you wrote that makes you sound good. He hadn't been real happy with me since. Too bad. I said what the Lord wanted me to say to him. Don't apologize for it. That's bad enough when a guy doesn't even claim to have any kind of spiritual sensitivity. He gets up there and reads everything. Some guys even have marked in there, uh, get them to stand, get them to clap, do this right here, do that there. Like I said, it's a script for a lot of guys. Boy, you're, you're, this, that's, you're really being unkind, brother, right? I know. I can't tell you how deeply disturbed I am that this is the direction of ministry in the United Pentecostal Church. I am so disturbed. You, you think this is strong? This is nothing. This is so restrained that it would blow your mind how restrained this is. Well, let me tell you what. 
God didn't restrain himself in Jeremiah 23. You know what that is all about? If I write it all down, I don't have to spend time with God dying out to myself and learning to be sensitive to the Spirit and praying to learn to hear the voice of God. And then I don't have to get up there and trust God because then I'm not afraid of failing enough to be humble enough to submit myself to God to hear and repeat what he says because I've eliminated God out of the issue and he can't make a fool of me by letting me do this or that or the other so I got it all written down so that I don't have to trust God because he may let me down and I may be embarrassed and since I'm trying to look right here right now. I don't know if there's anyone sitting in this room except the men from Antioch that I've ever heard preach. So if you do it like this, I have no clue. But I don't think I'm preaching this for nothing. How about, let's just stay in the Amplified. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. There's probably never been a more intellectual, intellectual giant to preach the gospel than Paul. But listen to what Paul said. As for myself, brethren, when I came to you, I, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony and deliverance of, or mystery and secret of God concerning what he has done through Christ for the salvation of men, in lofty words of eloquence. I didn't come to you in lofty words of eloquence or human philosophy and wisdom. Next verse. For I resolved to know nothing, to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing, and to be conscious of nothing among you except Jesus Christ the Messiah and Him crucified. And I was in, parentheses, passed into a state of weakness and fear. I moved purposely into a place of position and fear, or weakness and fear, dread, and great trembling after I had come among you. What was it he was so afraid of? He wasn't afraid of failing. He was afraid of injecting Paul into the rhema. He was afraid of there being Paul in the rhema. Because Colossians 3, 3 says, Ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So Paul... Paul moved into a place of weakness, meaning he, he, he allowed the Lord, he, did, he was willing to do it, but the Lord also helped him with the, the thorn in the flesh that Mr. Satan sent to buffet him, to move into a place of weakness. It didn't mean he was weak as we would consider weakness, but he, he, he moved to a place that he knew that he could do nothing for the kingdom of God or for people of himself. He was weak through the flesh to do that. And his fear of God and his fear of injecting Paul and Paul's intellect and Paul's ideas and 
Paul's opinions into Rama. Remember what I said about cloaking a little bit of lie and a whole lot of truth? You cloak, you cloak a little bit of self and a whole lot of God. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, and flesh is leaven. And Paul knew that to such a degree, he was terrified that he would do that and that people wouldn't hear the, the word of God. Next verse. Next. And my language and my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing and plausible words of wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power a proof by the spirit and power of God operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions and thus persuading them. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, human philosophy might I add human eloquence, but in the power of God. What does this have to do with spiritual warfare? Is there more of a war that goes on than whether or not, than whether or not the rhema of God is going to be delivered to the people? If the devil knows what God promised is going to happen when people are caused to hear the rhema of God, don't you remember when Michael stood on one side and Lucifer on the other beside Joshua the high priest? Them contending with him? You think there's not a war that goes on here? There's a war that goes on here or any other place where the word of God is, is spoken. Whether it's in a, a, a prison service or a home group or a home Bible study or any other place that the word of God is supposed to go forth and affect people's lives. There is a war and the adversary has an ally and that ally is your flesh and your self-will. And if your flesh isn't dead and your will isn't dead, he wins. Spiritual warfare. <laughs> If there wasn't a war fought with a preacher in the middle just over the most important thing possible when it comes to ministry, and that's discerning the rhema and delivering the rhema, there wouldn't hardly be any sinners left in the world. If there was no war over whether or not rhema would be delivered, and with the promise of God of what would happen if people are called to hear Rhema? Where would the sinners be? Do you think the devil is gonna stand by and just, and, and, and just let hearing from God? There are things I pray before every time. I minister. I don't repeat them out of rote. I don't make a list because I want it to be just as real that time as it was every other time I've spoken it and prayed it. But there are times, I, there are things I pray. 
I will not get up without praying those. I will not stand before people without praying those. I will not stand before people without praying those. And one of the first things I do is I confess, Father, without you, I can do nothing. And Lord, if there's anything that's any kind of breach between my, my relationship with you, my connection with you, so that you can flow through me, show me right now. I repent, Father. I want that connection to be healthy. I want it to be what it needs to be. Father, I can't do it without you. I can't do it without you. And that because Paul considered it so important, and he said these words in the beginning of every one of his epistles to churches, and then he added this word, which usually I also add, to Timothy and Titus. I pray this. He said, grace and mercy, a grace and peace be unto you. He said to the churches, grace and peace be unto you from the Father. To Timothy and Titus, he said, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from the Father. And so I I pray that, Father, I receive your grace, your empowerment to do what I cannot do. I cannot do it myself. I receive your grace. I receive your mercy, Father. I receive your peace. Because if I don't have peace in my heart, I cannot hear God. I call it my pond of peace. I want my spirit to be as calm as a pond of peace. Because the more sensitive, the, the, more, the, the, the more calm my spirit is, the more sensitive my spirit, my, my, my spirit is to every breeze, slightest breeze of the Holy Ghost across that pond. But when you begin to throw pedal, pebbles into a pond and it causes ripples, they may be only small ripples, but it takes a stronger breeze of the Holy Ghost to be able to sense the difference between the ripples. And if I'm throwing stones into the pond, then the, the ripples are larger and, 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 the, and the move of the Spirit's got to be greater or I will miss it. And one of the key things that we throw into our pond of peace is offenses. And if you hold on to offenses, God requires you to throw those offenses into your pond of peace. And disturb the surface. So now you don't know what God is saying. All because your offenses keep your pond of peace from being calm. So Father, I can't do anything without you. I receive the empowerment of your grace. Because grace is, for it is God that worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. And I receive mercy because mercy is the application of the blood that, it, that, that takes away all of my past so that the adversary can't use my past against me in condemnation to undermine my faith and my confidence in you. And then I receive peace from you, Father. And anything that's disturbing my peace right now, Lord Jesus, reveal it to me so you and I can deal with it because I, I want to go into this service with my peace being so calm that I can be sensitive to the slightest moving of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, by your grace, make me sensitive and responsive to your spirit. And then... Before I minister, and you've heard me do it. I I did it publicly last night. If you were listening. 
I take dominion authority. By the authority given unto me, I take dominion authority over the spirits that are trying to oppose this service that will try to oppose this service. I establish my dominion over you before we start. Do this with this what you want. I pray it and it's work for me. I loose the Holy Ghost of God to move in this service. To make people hungry. I loose the Holy Ghost of God to bring conviction upon this service. I loose the Holy Ghost of God to bring the spirit of revelation of truth to this people. And whatever else I feel to pray. I loose the angels of God to fight for God's people. To protect us and grant us liberty. I loose the gifts of the spirit of God. To manifest and edify the church, the body of Christ. In some form or another. And I never try to repeat it because I don't want it becoming vain repetition and something I just, some kind of breadcrumbs I throw to God as lip service. So I've covered my bases. I'm not trying to cover my bases. I'm praying what I really believe. And I don't ever minister without praying those things. What? I'm going to step to the pulpit and try to minister without first establishing the the dominion of the authority that has been delegated to me? In the Gospels, they, they... They didn't marvel over his anointing. They didn't marvel over his eloquence. They marveled over the fact that he spoke with authority. Oh God. (laughs) You know what? I don't accept anything at face value. I don't care who taught it, where it came from, who originated with, how great the person was that came up with that. My allegiance is to the book. I've said it many times. I am not a part of the United Pentecostal Church because I believe the United Pentecostal, what the United Pentecostal Church believes. I'm not. I do not believe what the United Pentecostal Church believes. I'm in the United Pentecostal Church because this organization believes the closest to what God showed me for myself in the Bible. They believe it close enough that I can obey the scripture by being a part of it so that I can fellowship with those of like precious faith. But I'm not in it because I believe what the United Pentecostal Church believes. I'm in it because the United Pentecostal Church believes what God showed me. But there's a lot of traditions that are taught. It's not in the book. And I'm not talking about holiness. How we do things. I just don't, there's things I don't accept because I don't see it. I won't get into all of that, but autonomy. Show me autonomy in the Bible. You want to to know why the church isn't reaching the world? One word, autonomy. The synonyms of autonomy are Self-sufficiency, self-governing, independent. So we got all these self-sufficient, independent, self-governing churches that's a part of a body? Well, if that was the case, I wouldn't be a body sitting up here. I'd be a bunch of parts just kind of randomly floating around. 
Where did we get that from? We didn't get it in the Bible. It came from our flesh. It ain't going to be changing because we had too much flesh to change it. I don't have faith for it to be changing. Too many people have to give up the opportunity to be the man for it to ever change. So therefore they get what they got. And they've got all they're ever going to get. Because if you don't find somehow to come under somebody as authority who really has authority to tell you no, where you're not your own little God running your own show the way you want to do it, you ain't never going to see anything happen. But not of significance. That's just one of those things, you see. Huh. Book of James talks about strife. You know what the strong says strife is? Electioneering for office. We don't have that any of that in the UPC, do we? Show me anywhere in the Bible where the Lord revealed his will through the will of the majority. Any place. One place. Just one place in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? Well, why do you put up with that? Because I'm loyal to my brother. I'm loyal to the brotherhood. And there's some things I have to put up with. Oh, and by the way, in case you forgot, I'm a district superintendent. So it's not like I'm some outsider protesting. I do what I have to do to be a part of this. Even while every chance I get to protest, I protest. And unfortunately, if something matters to me enough, I can't say it calmly and blasé like some folks. So I keep my mouth shut on the general board until there's something that matters enough for me to talk. Because I'm not going to be saying it passionately. And then there are guys that sit there and say, it's time we hear from right. Well, wait a minute. If you know something needs to be said, why don't you say it? No, no, we'd rather you be the one they, they fire all the shots at. Just goes with the territory. What, what are we doing here? What is this about? What is this about? What are we about? You know the thing that disturbs me the most? Somewhere along the line, consciously or subconsciously, the lost has taken such a back seat in what we do. The lost has taken such a back seat in our prayers. The lost has taken such a back seat in our church calendar and our church activities. The lost has taken such a back seat in our praying and our preaching. The lost has just taken such a back seat. Everything Jesus did was about the lost. And very little of what we do is about the lost. Oh, we give lip service to it, but our actions prove we don't mean a word we're saying. Where's the lost at in all this? Where's the lost? Where's the lost at in this? Where's the lost? I know what time it is. And I'd love to get off my feet. And I will as soon as the flow stops. Trust me, there won't be any lag time from the, between the moment the flow stops and the time I quit. But I'm not going to presume to quit before he does. 
Did you, did you hear what Paul said? Did you hear what he said? The great apostle Paul, the intellect apostle Paul said he, he came to this place. He learned this. Just like he said he learned whatever state he was in to be content. He obviously learned this. Because as 1 Corinthians 1, what, what verse ended up being? What, 17, something like that? If you preach with eloquence, you're making the cross of Christ void of effect. And that not with verbal eloquence, lest the cross of Christ should be deprived of force and emptied of its power and rendered vain, which is fruitless, void of value, and of no effect. What terrible thing has someone done to make the cross of Christ in that condition? Just tried to add human eloquence and intellect to the message. That's it. That's not, that's, that didn't happen because the man that's up here is committing adultery. Lying, stealing. I mean, we could understand that, right? That you could make the cross of Christ none effect if you get up here full of sin in your life and presume to say the word of God. That's not what it said. Do you many, you know how many absolutely good men there are? Moral men. Men who pray. Who have fallen into the trap of pursuing eloquence in the pulpit because that's now our culture. At the expense of making the cross of Christ of none effect. Now, I understand this is being streamed. But you see, you can't die but once. And people don't know the favor they've done you when they shoot at you enough that you die. Because once you're dead, you don't have anything left to lose. And I got this feeling, I got this feeling that some folks are going to get a hold of this and, ooh, God have mercy. If they could, they'd bring me up on charges. How dare you say that about so-and-so? Did I call anybody's name? You put somebody's name to it, that's your problem, not mine. You're my jury. Have I said anything today that's not in the book? Really? Have I said anything that's not in the book? I'm prepared to say, to defend what I've said today in the book. Let's go back to Jeremiah 23, 22 and, and, and read a little bit more from there. See if, I, see if that's what he wants as far as the end of it. But if they had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doing. Wait, 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 wait. I, I can't. Do you preach without expecting something to happen? 
If you preach without expecting something to happen, you're acknowledging you don't have rhema. Because if you have rhema and you preach, your faith should be something is going to happen. And I'm not saying you make it happen. But if you preach and nothing's happening, let me tell you something right now. If you got rhema and you, you deliver that rhema, you cause his people to hear his words and nothing seems to be happening, it's time to start praying. And maybe it's time to call on a few intercessors. To, to pray and break that spirit and that barrier because he promised something would happen. And if I will settle for nothing and happening, nothing's going to happen. But if I refuse to settle for nothing happening because I've heard from God and I have, I have obeyed him and caused the people to hear his rhema, <coughs> something is going to happen in this service. Next verse. Can any hide himself in secret places? I shall not see him, saith the Lord. Do I not, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? I have heard what the prophet said that prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor. As their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. He that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. For what, what is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, saith the Lord, that steal my words one from his neighbor. Huh? No, 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 go back. What did he say? What, what is this? Wait, let, let me read it here just to make sure I'm not misreading it. It's a little closer. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. Guess what? It really did say what I thought it did. I thought that's what it said. It really didn't say that. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Is there something wrong with listening to somebody else's messages? Nah. Is there something wrong with reading books that other people have written? No. No, no, it's not. But when you hear something, even if it is a rhema of God, when you listen to it, it's a rhema of God to you. That doesn't mean God just told you to preach it as rhema the next time you need to impress somebody.
Have I read stuff or heard stuff? And God spoke to me from what was said? And, and, and I, I heard it? I preached here Sunday night. I don't normally preach here anymore. That's a senior pastor's job. But I preached here Sunday night. I'm sitting Thursday night, October the 2nd, in the general conference service, while Brother Anthony Mangan is preaching that message that God honored, and a $4.2 million offering was raised, which breaks every record there's ever been because it was supernatural, out of a crowd of probably not more than honestly about 5,000 people. And I don't know how many people contributed were online watching. I don't know that. But I'm sitting there while this man is preaching. He's preaching about sacrifice. And he's preaching about giving to God and all that. I'm hoping one day maybe the pastor will feel like one of our services showing that message here. If he does, he does. I didn't say thus saith the Lord. I said I'm just hoping maybe he'll feel that one day. It was a powerful message. But while I was sitting there, God began to spoke, speak to me. The texts were the same. That's what the man was preaching from. But the message was to Antioch. And I preached it here Sunday night. And I told where I was when I heard it. Because Sunday night was November the 2nd. It was October the 2nd that God spoke it to me. And I told people, I told the church where I was and how it came. But that was a rhema of God to this church. I didn't preach his message. In fact, I, I can't really tell you the, any of the points he made in his message. I want to go back and hear it myself. But in that atmosphere and in that spirit, God spoke to me. I don't apologize for that. God spoke to me. Have I heard cassettes? You don't listen to cassettes anymore. Have I heard CDs, messages, MP3s, podcasts? Have I heard people preach stuff? Have I read stuff that people have written and preached? And it's, it's, it's affected me? Oh, yeah. But I didn't get up here Tuesday night and read that first five pages and tell you it came from Chester Wright. I read it and told you it was from Leonard Ravenhill. It was his writings. And I did that because I was told to. And let, let, me, let me say something here to you quickly. If I have said anything that seems to communicate that I'm the epitome of how to do this, God forgive me. That is not the message here. Because you hear me right now. There's never a day that I feel like I've got this down. I am seeking and searching how to more effectively hear from Him, how to be more in tune with Him, how to be more sure of how to flow with Him every single day. Understanding the process and being able to live the process is not the same thing. And you don't ever get this perfected. There's never a day you've arrived with that. My God, my God, my God. 
Let's try one more verse. See, it's getting close. Behold, I'm against the prophets, says the Lord, that use their tongues and say he saith when he didn't say. Behold, I'm against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. That's not talking about telling something funny in the pulpit, but by their spiritual lightness. There's no weight to them. There's no depth to them. Yet I I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. Oh, but it was from the word of God and it was a beautiful message. The book says no profit. No profit at all. Next verse. And when this people or the, or the prophet or a priest shall ask thee, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt then say unto them, What burden? I will even forsake you, saith the Lord. As for the prophet and the priest and the people that shall say, The burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. Because when you study that phrase, The burden of the Lord is not a burden for the lost. It, you may have a burden for the lost. But a burden of the Lord, the Lord is the weight of the responsibility and the, and the, 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 the humility and the fear that comes upon you when you have received a rhema. And if it doesn't say it in this chapter, which I think it does before the end, it specifies the burden of the word of the Lord. Next verse, we're almost done. I think, thus shall you say every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what hath the Lord answered and what hath the Lord spoken? And the burden of the Lord shall ye mention no more, for every man's word shall be his burden. For ye have perverted the words of the living God, of the Lord of hosts our God. Thus shalt thou say to the prophet, what hath the Lord answered thee and what hath the Lord spoken? But since ye say the burden of the Lord, therefore thus saith the Lord, because ye have said, ye say this word, the burden of the Lord, and I have sent unto you saying, ye shall not say the burden of the Lord. Therefore behold, I even I will utterly forget you and will forsake you and the city that I gave you and your fathers and cast you out of my presence. <sighs> And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. Is that it? Yeah. What's the big deal, Lord, with Saul? He offered a sacrifice. Okay, Samuel was supposed to do it, but it was a problem. What's the big deal? What's the big deal with these bleeding sheep? Lord, what's the problem? What's the big deal with him sparing this man's life? What's the big deal? Lord, you, you, you got all of the, you're all this upset over what? What are you so upset over God? What, what's, what's all this ranting and raving of yours about God? You mean, you mean you're just this upset because guys are preaching good sermons? Even though you didn't give it to them or give it to them exactly like they preached. 
You're this upset over that God? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And one of the last things I pray, sometimes I pray it a lot before I come to the pulpit is, oh, Father, please, for my soul's sake and for these people's sake, don't let me miss your will tonight. Don't let me miss it. I I believe that I've heard from you, but, Father, if this is not you, if this is not you, have mercy on these people. If you're not going to give me what to say, give me the grace to shut up and sit down and not pretend that I have something from you when I don't. Oh, you don't really pray that? Did this morning. Did it before I left the house. Did it on the drive over here. And while I was standing over here this morning, while it looked like I was kind of arranging my stuff and taking my coat off, whatever, I was getting my stuff and whatever, that may be what it looked like to you. But I'm going to tell you what I was doing. Oh, God. God, don't let me miss you today. God, don't, don't let me miss you today, Jesus. Don't let me miss you. Don't let me miss your will, Father. I commit myself to you. Father, don't let me. Have mercy on me and these people. Don't let me miss your will today. I'm not saying that stuff to elevate me with you. I'm saying that stuff to tell you how much I revere and fear this calling that woe is me if I don't preach and woe is me if I preach and say God's saying and it's not God. Woe is me either way. If I'm so afraid of missing it that I refuse to preach, I'm in trouble with God. If I'm, if I feel the pressure to preach, but I don't know God, I don't know what God said and I preach anyway, woe is me here too. So I'm, I'm, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't and I'm damned if I do if I do it in myself. You know what? I know most of us people sitting here are not preachers. I'm aware of that. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. And since many of you from out of town, the people from Antioch don't know which are preachers and which aren't. So there's no reason for you to be embarrassed because they're not looking at you. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Oh, God. If you preach and need the reaction of people to assure you that you've heard from God, you're in trouble. No offense, precious people, but Jesus called you sheep. And sometimes... The same thing in a sheep that allows them to be led positively also allows them to be led negatively because they're sheep. And if your way of knowing 
that you've heard from God is people's reaction to your preaching, then you and them are easily deceived. Because if they're reacting because of the stuff you're saying, you could easily believe that proves you heard from God. But if you heard from God and they're not reacting, they're not reacting can prove to you or cause you to doubt that you heard from God. And now you can't speak with a conviction that's necessary. Because of this ministry, whatever this is, that God has given me and usually operates through me, if I was preaching for people's reaction, I'd never preach again. Because I have learned that the majority of the time, the more own I am, the quieter people get. I'm not, that's, I'm not saying that should be like, like that for anybody else. But that's the way it is for me. And if I needed people's reaction to help me know whether or not I've heard from God, I'd be in big trouble. But you see... I'm not a container, I'm a conduit. And because I'm a conduit, I seek for the flow. This is the way I define my ministry, or the ministry that God has entrusted to me. I go where he sends me, when I get there I flow. When he stops flowing, I come home. I don't care what office title you put on that. I don't care how you describe it, I could care less. I have successfully fulfilled the will of God and please God if I find out where I'm supposed to be and go there. And then when I get there and it's my turn, I flow in the spirit of God and allow him to speak rhema through me. And when he's done, I quit. Even if the people quit before me and him. I quit when he's done. Flow. Because you know something? That makes me completely independent of people's reactions, their expectations. It's been years since I've accepted an invitation to speak at a camp meet. Because there, were a long, there was a long time people invited me to come expecting one thing, and I don't do what they expect. They have a, there's a certain culture to camp meeting, and so therefore there's a certain type of preaching and teaching that's expected in camp meeting. And when you don't give that, then they're disappointed. So it's only been the last couple of years that I've expect, accepted some invitation, and I usually prefer the daytime because that's the teacher. Because I'm assuming at this point in time, that you know me enough or you, God's told you enough about me when you invite me, you know what you're going to get. This is it. This is what you're going to get. And if you want something else, ain't happening. I'm not saying anybody should be like this. This is what he's made me to be. This is the ministry he's given me. Whatever you call this, this is it. You've got to be true to your ministry that he's given you. You've got to do it the way he does it through you. And stop trying to clone yourself like somebody else. 
I was watching just a little bit of this this morning. I was checking a couple things. And I looked at that. My wife's not in here. She's probably not going to like me saying this. But there was an old prophet that was very involved in my life in the 70s and 80s. And I looked at that. And now that I'm older with my hairline and therefore my face is a little more, features are a little more pronounced and my nose and whatever. And, 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 you know, and I was squinting. I went, oh, Lord. I look, I look just like brother. I look just like brother. Well, if there's any brother so-and-so in me, the Holy Ghost put that in there. He sent him my way. He imparted things into my life along with others. I'm not trying to be brother so-and-so. Never have tried to be brother so-and-so. I have two sons in the ministry. You might find a little bit of mannerisms here and there that are like mine, but God forbid they're like me. They each one have very different ministries, and both of their ministries are different than mine. And there's nothing wrong with their ministry because it's different than mine or different from each other's. What's right about it is each one has their own specific ministry that God gave them to be like it is. No clones in the kingdom. Even if a spirit of ministry goes from one prophet to the next, it's operated differently through that man. Same spirit of ministry, but it's operated differently. And here's the point. The conduit, excuse me, the container of God, he has to get filled up with God to have something to give. And if he can't get God to fill it up, he'll fill it up with other stuff. So he's got something to get out of there to do his job, to fulfill his responsibility. But the conduit, all he has to worry about is getting connected to the source. He doesn't turn the, the, the valve on. He doesn't turn the valve off. He just gets connected. And he waits for the valve to be turned on. And whatever the, whatever's coming from, through the valve, it flows through the conduit. Good, bad, or otherwise. Enjoyable to listen to, horrible to listen to, painful to listen to, excited to listen to. It doesn't make any difference. Conduit has no, no, no influence over that. The conduit just lets it flow. And when it turns off, the conduit doesn't try to continue to give it because then it's only going to be hot air. There won't be anything flowing. And guess what that does? Takes all the pressure off. And this is true whether you're witnessing somebody at McDonald's across the table or teaching a Bible study or a home group or a preaching point, or a daughter work, or a congregation, or a church, or a seminar, or any other situation you're in. You're a conduit, and it just flows. And what is, what is it that takes a container and transforms it into a conduit? It's the bottom of the container that makes it a container and keeps it from being a conduit. And what is the bottom of the container? Me. My flesh. My will. My ideas. My opinions. My dreams. My understandings. My plans. Me. 
And if I want to go from being a container where I have to constantly keep getting filled up with God, the biblical word also is cistern. If I want to go from being a container to a conduit, I got to die. So the bottom that limits that conduit, the container, is removed. And I'm now a conduit. Let's pray. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. As God is my witness, I did not come to this service this morning with one thing I said in my mind. I have a set of notes here, and if anything I said is in these notes, I'm not consciously aware of it. I didn't use anything in these notes. Consciously. But the Lord began to speak when I got up here. And I let him flow. And I am personally a little bit shocked. And humanly, I'm a little bit dismayed at some of the things that he has required me to say. I didn't say I apologize. I just said my flesh is a little bit dismayed. Because of the potential consequences in some people's minds. But you know what? I can't take it back. And God has spoken to you. Whether you're sitting in this building. Or you're watching online live. Or you're listening online live. Or you're watching or listening to a replay of this. At your discretion sometime in the future. God is speaking and has spoken to you. And I am now relieved of the burden. The phraseology that's from the scripture. You deliver your soul. Delivering your soul isn't what you say. It's not the content that you say. When you're preaching you don't deliver your soul by delivering content. The phraseology when you look up that phraseology. Delivering your soul means when the Lord tells you to warn the wicked and you warn them. Whatever their response is between them and God, but you have delivered your soul. The message is not deliver your soul, but speaking rhema faithfully delivers my soul from judgment as an unfaithful servant of the Lord. And I have delivered my soul today. And you are now accountable to God for the rhema that's been spoken in this building. You're accountable to God. You may not like what's been said. And to be honest with you, other than the fact some people have been said ooh and ow and ouch, I haven't felt any real opposition in this building to what I've said today, which is a little bit disconcerting. But that being the case, if your spirit, even though your mind is going out, if your spirit's saying, amen, then you're acknowledging 
that what was said is truth and that God has spoken to you. So now the question is, what are you going to do about it? Because if you go back and go to business as usual, this word now becomes the evidence against you. Not me. I'm not the evidence. I have no right to judge. But the word which I have spoken, Jesus said, will judge you in that day. John twelve forty eight. The word which I have spoken will judge you. I'm not anybody's judge. I'm just, I'm just a conduit. But if this is a word from God today, and I believe with all my heart it is, then that word's going to judge you. And you may not get any of this down pat in a short amount of time. But I'm telling you right now, you have a responsibility. Let this be your catalyst to find a place to pray and a time of dedication and consecration before God where you lay it all out on the table. Say, Lord, by your grace, I'm not going back to the way I am. Now teach me. And I pray this scripture. David prayed, I believe it was David's in the book of Psalms, lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Lead me in a plain path because there are many adversaries. Lord, let me be sensitive to you and help me be responsive to you. And lead me in a plain path because there's such adversaries warring against what you're doing. And some of those adversaries are in the spirit. And some of those adversaries are using people we know and love as their conduits for their warring against us. And we have to learn how to love the person and reject the stuff that's trying to stop us from seeking and doing the will of God. I've said it many times in this meeting. I'm saying it again right now. God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm about to do. I am soaked to the bone. And if I don't change out of the wet stuff under this coat I'm not going to have any voice left so I'm going to lay down this mic if God's through with you that's your business but if he's not through with you and you don't stay here and wait on him that's between you and Jesus at this point we will not start back before one thirty, I'm assuming there's something downstairs, snacks available to eat. There he is. But if you don't make it downstairs and you're still sitting here at one thirty, for some of us, that's exactly what God needs to do. When I get a little, get out of these clothes, get a little rest, coming back in here myself.